And I'm going to speak to you tonight on the subject of how to make a comeback. How to make a comeback. Somebody came up the other day and said, Pastor, I got a new nickname for you. I said, what's that? He said, your pastor comeback. Pastor comeback. And uh, so I'm going to preach on that tonight, how to make a comeback, because I really believe that there's people here tonight that, uh, you know, comebacks come in many different forms. They could be people that have lost everything, that make their way back, or just people that are not quite what they used to be that God is bringing them back into something brand new. And I want to talk about that here tonight. Psalms chapter 20, uh, 32 and verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me of the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Lord, bless this word today. Lord, I just want a mission tonight to just love on someone back to life again. People that are tired, discouraged, maybe even suicidal and maybe dealing with the biggest battle they've ever gone through in their entire life or maybe just the weight of years and years of carelessness and, and just years and years of being away from you. Tonight, Lord, I pray that the Christmas miracle that we would all receive is the, the revelation of your comeback tonight in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. How many here loves a comeback story? Do you love a comeback story? I love comeback stories. I mean, it's like... I, if there's any movie where someone's making a comeback, I don't care what it is, I'll go see it. Because we all love a comeback story, right? We're Americans. We all love Rocky Balboa, man, after getting almost killed by Drago, going to the mountaintop, running up the mountains. The KGB is trying to catch him. Remember in Rocky IV? And he's running through the snow, and he loses them, and he gets to the top, and he yells out, Drago! And he's like, he comes back and gets the victory. And uh, I mean, every one of us, we love comebacks. And for the last 25 years of ministry, that's all I've been dealing with is trying to shake people and tell them that they can make a comeback. For 25 years, I don't feel like I'm a pastor in my city. I feel like I'm a, jan a city janitor walking through the streets of L.A., pick up broken pieces and tell people that they can dream again. But I'm going to tell you how to make a comeback this evening because I've seen many people try to make a comeback, and fortunately, many of them have failed. As a matter of fact, the truth is, is many times when people kind of crash and burn, very few people, and I, I'm, I'm a very positive person, but from my experience, very few people ever make a comeback. Why do so many fail to come back? Why do so many in ministry um, have success, then they fall, and then they never really quite rise against what they used to be? The truth is they can. The truth is God can awaken anything, and you can rise up and be better than the worst sin of your past and be anything God wants you to be. I mean, the script has yet been written of what your life can be, but, but, I, but my whole life, when my whole ministry is people coming in with heroin addictions, people coming in with drug addictions. The other day I was going up the Dream Center elevator and I, and I got off the floor and there were 27 guys before 9 a.m. trying to get into our free one-year recovery program. 27 that are lined up in the homeless epidemic of America. All that's going on, just hoping, filling out their applications. And some of them, had someone had to write for them. Um, thank God they're not reading the rules sober, and then they wouldn't come into the program, right? You know, and uh, they're writing and, and trying to fill out the applications there, and I saw so many of them, and, and I thought to myself, Lord, 
My prayer is that every single one of them makes a dynamic comeback. But there's times of our life where I have seen over the years one of the greatest tragedies of ministry is, is the greatest reason why people don't make a comeback is because they don't approach their comeback the way David approached his comeback. You see, David, in this scripture, it's amazing. He's talking about literally wanting to die, his bones wasting away, not having any more fight left in him. Everything has been taken from him. He lost his will to want to go to the next level. And, and you know what? In 25 years, can I be honest with you? I've lost my will sometimes to go to the next level. I've been in a place where I said, God, you are so good. And I've even said things like this. I mean, terrible things like this. I've said, God, if, if everything ended today and this is all that you ever did, I would be satisfied. And the truth is I was limiting God and his ability to do so much more. And, but David's going through this process, but then he talks about acknowledging his sin unto the Lord, and the second half of the scripture changes so dramatic. From a guy that's wanting to throw in the towel to someone now talking about how I will rise again and how I, I will be like everything I never dreamed that I could be. He talks about um, the, the rivers will not overflow him and all these things. He goes from it's over to suddenly a person that believes that anything is possible again because God is doing something great in his life. See, the reason why many people fail to come back is when they fail, they try to get all the wrong things back. They try to get their power back. I've seen it. They try to get their influence back. I've seen people in ministry. We've restored 30 to 40 preachers back into ministry over the years. But can I tell you, we've probably lost 30 to 40 as well. And the ones who have made it have come to us, and they simply said this. They said, I don't know if I'll ever be used again of God, but one thing that I know, the only thing I want back is not my pulpit, I don't want my sermon. I don't want my conference speaking. I don't want anything back. The ones that make it say the same exact things that David said. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. They wanted the right things back. And that's what always allows you to make a comeback. When I, when I was a 20-year-old preacher, I came to L.A., and you've heard this story many times. My dad asked me to come, and he couldn't find a pastor. He asked me to come and preach for 10 weeks. So I raided his sermon cabinet. Came up with Tommy Barnett's top 10 greatest hits. I'm, I'm stealing everybody's sermons. I mean, borrowing. But I'm just taking all, you know, and, and I'm getting all their sermons and trying to figure out how to pastor this church for a few weeks. And, uh, and, and I was just going for it, man. And, and then my dad said, can you stay for six months? I'm like, okay, I'll stay for six months. And I haven't found a pastor yet. Maybe I'll find the real pastor tonight. I'm looking out in this room, you know. And, and, and so we just couldn't find it. And then Finally, after a year, I was pastoring, and it was tough. I was 21 years old. I got voted in because everyone thought my dad was going to be the pastor, not me. So I got in under false pretenses. They thought the church was all over 80 years of age, and they thought they were voting Tommy Barnett in. And instead, they got the son, and they weren't happy about it. I tried to tell them, you've seen the father, you've seen the son, but it didn't work out very good, you know. And, uh, and I was so frustrated and so discouraged, and, uh, and I looked out in the crowd, and I used to preach with my eyes closed because I didn't want to look at the crowd because nobody was there, and, and I was so discouraged, and I came from a mega church of, of seven, 8,000 people, even on a Sunday night. At one point, we were having 7,000 people on a Sunday night at my dad's church in Phoenix, and I looked out one night, and nobody showed up. I mean, I was looking, I, I saw some people walking by my building, and I think, man, thank God somebody's parked into our parking structure, but they were just going to the liquor store to get them some liquor, you know, and they walked right past our building, and I, I was so frustrated, I was so discouraged. 
And my, my spirit was down because all I cared about was succeeding. All I cared about was addicted to the idea that I had to be better than the generation before me. I had to go further and higher and faster and accomplish more. And so I was invited to go preach at Oral Roberts University. I was 21 years of age, and I was flying out to ORU, and, uh, and I literally told God, I'm going to preach at Oral Roberts University Chapel to all the students, and then I'm going to retire and preach my final sermon. That's it. I'm done. I'm going to preach over you, and I'm done. So I literally, quitting was already in my mind. I had 24 hours left in ministry, and it was over. And so I landed in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I went to the hotel. It was a little Hilton Hotel next to ORU, and uh, they kept me there, and I, I was going to the hotel, and this man met me right in the front, this bell captain. He was the nicest guy in the world. He said, hello, sir, how you doing? And, and my attitude was so bad, I'm like, good. You know, I was in quitting mode, so I didn't feel like I had to be nice because I was retiring from ministry anyways, right? And so I'm like, good, and I just kind of walked on by. And uh, he said, can I take your bags? I said, sure. And we went up the elevator, and uh, he said, well, what, are you, what are you here for? I'm like, well, I'm here to just do some work here in Tulsa. He said, what kind of work? I said, well, I'm, I'm speaking to Oral Roberts University tomorrow. He said, wait a second. He said, are you Matthew Barnett? I said, really? Are you prophetic? How did you know my name? He said, your name's on the billboard right outside there. You know, I saw it on the hotel registration. But uh, I thought he was prophetic. He was just aware, you know. And, uh, and so he carried my bags up to the room. And he said, uh, he said, well, let me just help you out. He was so nice. He went to the room and started messing with the air conditioning to get in the right temperature, everything. He was just such a nice, perfect bell captain. And so he was walking out the door. And he said, Reverend, do you mind if I do something? I said, what's that? He said, do you mind if I pray with you before you leave, before I leave? I said, sure, because, you know, you can't say no when somebody wants to pray for you, even though I wanted to, right? Because I was retiring. I didn't want any inspiration. I just want to finish my sermon and ride off into the sunset. And he said, sit down, Reverend. I said, okay. And then he just, like, starts walking around in a circle. And he starts looking at me like, like he was, like, kind of flexing on me, man. He's just, like, <laughs> just circling me. I'm like, what's going on here? And then he stopped. He looked at me, and he pointed at me. He goes, you're a Holy Ghost man of God. Okay, and he's just circling. And he just keeps circling. He goes, you're a Holy Ghost man of God. You're a Holy Ghost man. Do you know who you are? You're a Holy Ghost man of God. You're a he kept circling me. And then finally, he was jumping up and down, calling me a Holy Ghost man of God. And then he said, do you want the double portion of the anointing? I said, yes, I do. He said, do you want the triple portion? I'm like, I haven't really heard it in the word, but it still sounds good, you know. He's like, do you want the quadruple anointing? I'm like, this doctrine is not perfect, but it's still, I've never heard of quadruple anointing, right? And I said, you know what, I want the whole thing. He said, you want the whole thing? I said, yes, I do. He pulled out the biggest jar of anointing oil. I'm like, how did a 64-ounce big gulp fit in this guy's pocket? And he just dumps it. He goes, all right, then. He just dumps the whole thing over my head from head to toe. And then he continued to dance around me and call me a Holy Ghost man of God for the next five minutes. And then he got me a towel and he said, here you go. He threw it at me. He walked out the door. Never seen the guy ever again. But he reminded me one more time on the way out the door that I was a Holy Ghost man of God. That was the day that I decided I was never going to quit the ministry. That was the day I made it in my mind. Here's why. Because I understood what it was like to suddenly have everything back again. Everything back in your life, everything that you've lost, the evidence that you've made a comeback is not getting back all the stuff that you've lost along the way. David said, I don't care about anything. I don't care about my palace. I don't care about my power. I don't care about my prestige or wealth. 
or military might. He said, all I want is that feeling that I had as I was tending the sheep and singing worship songs unto the Lord before it was all of this. All I want is to have that relationship back. People come to me all the time, Pastor, how do I get my stuff back? I said, forget about your stuff. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. And some of you are ready for a comeback tonight. And you're going to get it through understanding that your relationship with God is the only thing you should want back. Because when you have God back in your life, you have everything back in your life. This guy was in our, in our recovery program for one month. He just graduated the first month. He said, Pastor, I want you to pray that God will give me all my family back. And I said, no, I'm not going to pray that because you're not strong enough to get your family back right now. 30 days of, of being clean. I said, I'm going to pray that God will give you the courage to finish this program. Because the evidence of your comeback is not, is not getting your family back. It's you getting your heart right with God. He graduated the program, and he started to get access. To his, his former wife was excited about his progress, so started giving him access one day a week to go visit the kids, and then two. And I told him, I said, you just take advantage of every opportunity, and you do the right thing. You speak well of her on every occasion. You, you be a man of character. You be a man of God, and you don't even want the things you, want, you lost back. You just be the represent, representation of Christ in every situation. And God started doing some amazing things, and, and she started noticing the change. They got back together again. He's with his family again. All of his children have been restored. He didn't try to short-circuit the system. He didn't try to make something happen. He just simply said, when I have God back, I have everything back in my life. And I've seen pastors, and my dad and I have been in charge of uh, pastoral. I've never really preached about this before, but been a part of pastoral restoration. And, and the saddest thing is, is, is pastors asking for a timeline of when they should make their comeback. And we said, don't worry about that. That doesn't even matter. That, that shouldn't even be attractive to you right now. The only thing that should be attractive to you right now is having a relationship with Christ back because that is everything in your life. Some people struggle to make a comeback because they think that the evidence of their comeback is all the stuff that they used to have coming back to them when the truth is a comeback is not five years down the road when you're standing on the mountaintop of success again. The comeback begins the very first day it already started. Don't call it a comeback. You've already been there, right? I mean... It starts the very first 24 hours you commit that one day at a time to say, if I have God back, I have everything back in my life. I've seen it. I've seen it on every possible occasion. I've seen what the, what the power of the Holy Spirit can do in the lives of people. I've seen when people just rejoice in the things of God. Our guys are a rehab program. We have 285 men and women in our drug and alcohol rehab program right now. 285 live in our building for one year free of charge, and they get up and they give testimonies. Man, sometimes they got to quiet them down on the balcony because they could be like a Jerry Springer studio audience at church, you know. They get kind of crazy up there. They're so excited. But they got no phones. They got no, I mean, for a whole year, they're total detox from the world and just focused on Christ. And they are some of the happiest people I've ever met. And, and one day I was in church and, uh, and, and I looked down the audience. There's a man that came down to the altar, and he was <laughs> worshiping with all the guys in the recovery program. And he was just raising his hands, you know, just worshiping with everyone. And I'm like, who is that? I think I've seen this guy before, you know. I'm like, man, who is that guy? 
Well, come to find out, the guy that was worshiping with them was one of the main guys on CNN named Van Jones. Van Jones is on there every night. You know, he's a very good-looking African-American guy, very sharp and intelligent, but uh, his point of view sometimes conflict with mine a little bit on, on, on some things. But I looked down, I saw that guy, and I'm like, man, that guy, that's Van Jones. He's wearing a Superman T-shirt. He came back after service, walked down the aisle, and I said, are you Van Jones? He said, yes, I am, Pastor. I love your church. I love coming to the house of God. I said, man, it's good to have you, man. Thanks for coming. He started coming back the next week. He started worshiping with all the guys in the rehab program. Guys in the program were getting up uh, uh, for testimonies and talking about how the Lord changed their life. Because every service, we have a four-minute testimony of somebody in our rehab program. And they were sharing their testimonies. He's sitting up there in the balcony saying, this is amazing. I really believe that God's house is a better place than the prison system. God was working on him. Come to realize, he came up to me and he said, Pastor, something big's about to happen in, in this week. And um, I want you to watch the news very, very carefully. He's just crying with the guys in rehab, worshiping with them over there. I said, really, what's about to happen? He goes, I just, just watched. Something big's about to happen. Well, come to find out, he went to the Republicans in, 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 the, in the government, and he worked together with them. The Democrats and Republicans, he spearheaded it, worked together with them, and he said, look, the church I go to, people get up and give testimonies about how God's changed their life. And I believe that God's people have a tremendous desire to see people helped, and we need to turn them loose. And little did I realize that the testimonies of these guys in the program who lost everything, but they got Jesus back in their life, impacted him so much. He went to the government. They came up with a deal. Democrats and Republicans, 70-plus percent, both approve of the Prison Reform Act, which allows people to come into the house of God rather than the prison system to have their lives transformed for the glory of God. All because of the man in the balcony hearing a bunch of people saying, Jesus is the answer for everything. And I think sometimes in life and sometimes in the church, we, we want a guru more than we want God. We want a counselor to tell us how to fix all of our problems. I'm for it. I think it's great. But as sometimes at the expense of not getting before God and the prayer altar and that old-fashioned altar and saying, God, I, I, I must get good impartation. I must get good advice. But none of that good advice is gonna, not going to matter if I don't have a relationship with Jesus, if I don't have a red-hot, passionate communication with Christ. There's miracles that only happen. It's, can I tell you something? The work of God is still supernatural work. It's not a work of ideas. It's a work of the altar. That's why I believe in the power of the altar. This guy came to me at church. He said, Pastor, I feel bad. I said, why? He said, I come to the altar every single service. He said, every single service I come to the altar. I said, why do you feel bad about that? He said, because I feel like everyone thinks that, that there's something wrong with me. I go, well, that's exactly what being a Christian is, something being wrong with you, but you keep coming back. You keep hungering for God. And I've seen so many times. Many people fall along the wayside because they want everything else back. They want influence back. They want power back. They want money back. They want what they used to be back. They want a former self of what they used to be spiritually back under their life when God is wanting to do something far more in their life in the future. And we're always wanting yesterday back. We're always wanting the power of the things that we've had. And I know I've been there in my life, and I've said things like, man, I don't know if I'm the same person that I was 10 years ago. And all that negative talk, but the truth is, when you have a relationship with God, suddenly everything in life becomes possible. 
Look at the scripture. David goes from it's over, I'm done, stick a fork in me, to all of a sudden he's talking about the noonday sun. He's talking about rivers not overflowing. And, and this dynamic comeback that only comes through the perspective of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what David's plan for restoration was? It was this. Fall down on my face on day one and hunger and thirst for his heart and yell out, God, oh, help me. Day two. Fall down before the face of God and say, oh, God, help me. Day three, fall down before the, the, the face of God and say, oh, God, help me. Day four, fall down and worship and say, oh, God, help me. And you know what happened? In that kind of heartbeat and prayer, God helped him. I wonder what happened that if every marriage that was struggling not only got good and mentorship and advice from other people, but both people in the relationship decided to have a personal prayer life and relationship with God, I wonder how much more that impact would really, that counseling would really help if both of you had a supernatural relationship and a prayer life on the throne of God. <laughs> Dr. Cho in Seoul, Korea, pastor of the largest church in the world, people used to come to his office, and he would do marriage counseling. They would come to him, and they would say, Pastor, uh, solve our problems. And he would look at them and say, did you pray today? And they would say, no. Did you pray today? And they would say, no. And he would make them go to a prayer mountain for two hours and pray before they even had their prayer meeting, before they even came together. Why? Because you can't convince someone to go the extra mile. Their heart has got to be touched by God. They have to have a relationship, that personal, dynamic relationship with God. That's where comebacks are born, and that's where miracles begin to happen. And there's somebody here that's worried about all the things that maybe you've lost in life and all the regrets and the burned bridges, can I tell you? Your comeback, you don't have to wait for five years for evidence of your comeback. It begins the moment you allow your heart to be touched by Almighty God. After David's sin, after David's comeback, look how many times he says, praise the Lord. In Psalms 146, he says, praise the Lord five times after his failure. In Psalms 147, he says, praise the Lord seven times. In Psalms 148, he says, praise the Lord 11 times. In Psalms 149, he says, praise the Lord six times. And the last words he says in the book of Psalms is, praise ye the Lord. Why is all this uh, praising going on? Because he had the right things back in his heart. That victorious spirit came upon the man, and he made himself a comeback, not just a comeback in his power, prestige, and leadership, but he got the greatest comeback he desired, that passionate, red-hot relationship with God that was back in his life. And the greatest gift that you can give your family this year is now any present under the tree. It's a man or woman of God who decides that every day you are going to fall down before the face of God and say, Lord, I have nothing in my life unless I have you. I know what's like. Look, I'm speaking through failure, not through success here today. I know what it's like as a pastor when you first started preaching that, that light goes off at 3 o'clock in the morning because you're so scared you know you need God to preach the next day. And then a little thing starts to happen over time called familiarity and, and talent and skill. And what happens is that light goes off a little bit earlier because you think that you don't need God as much. And I know that place. But I know that place when you're in the presence of God. I, you know what? I've never left the presence of God wanting to hold a grudge against someone. Amen? I've never left the presence of God wanting to be angry at someone. Your comeback begins with your relationship today. 
and that desire to simply say, I want the right stuff back. And the truth is, when you make a comeback back to the altar and the things of God, God will give you things back, but sometimes he'll give you things back that you never knew that were in your heart that only a pure heart can reveal. When, I, when my ministry was failing and nobody was coming to my church and, and nobody wanted to hear me preach, out of that failure, I was doing seven-hour prayer walks, walking around the city, and I used to walk by Sunset Boulevard. I'd go to the old taco truck, and I'd go to, you know, taco truck with, like, sesos and carne asada and lengua and all that stuff, you know, which means brain tacos, tongue tacos. Anyways, but I'd walk up to the taco truck, and Mr. Paisano would be there. He'd be like, hola, huero. He'd call me huero. And he goes, yeah. I go, I go, I'm the pastor. He goes, oh, padre huero. And Mr. Paisano was over there. He goes, what do you do? I said, well, I'm just taking a taco break and uh, I'm doing a prayer walk. He said, what are you praying for? I said, well, I'm praying for the nightclub over there. I'm praying for that over there. And I'm praying for Skid Row. And, and, uh, and he would give me free tacos all the time. Amen. My motivation was not pure. It was just I wanted free stuff and trying to be a good bishop for the neighborhood. And uh, don't, don't let anything get in the way of free stuff. Jeremiah 94, 26. <laughs> West Coast version. Mr. Paisano gave me a hug, and he said, oh, gracias, padre. He was so kind. And I'd just walk around the streets of Skid Row. Later, I would live homeless on Skid Row and have prayer meetings and just live three days homeless in the middle of the cardboard boxes of Skid Row. And I said, God, I don't want to be a powerless person. I know what it's like to have your heart. And I would pray with people that were shooting up in these cardboard boxes, and they would say things like this to me. They would say, I can never make it back. I've been too far gone. I began to look at people saying, you know what? You need to get in the car. Let's go to the Dream Center. And I'd bring these people, and the needles half stuck in their arms still, and I'd bring them back to the program. And uh, I began to learn that people that you see on the street that we have written off for years, they can make dynamic comebacks, and they can change in ways that are powerful. And I realize that the presence of God changes everything. A few years ago on Christmas Day, the guys in the recovery program, they don't go home for Christmas because many they commit one year of their, of their life to God. It's hardcore, and we tell them ahead of time, and this is the hardest thing you've ever done for one year. This is not going to be easy, but we give them all the disclaimers ahead of time how, how tough it's going to be. So the guys don't go back home because many times they fall off the wagon or they start nipping on the berries a little bit too much, you know, and they go home. So we try to keep them really like uh, in that one year focused on God. So we went into the, um, the program in the chapel um, or this little building that we had, and there was a, um, they were showing a movie in there, The Grinch. And <laughs> I've never enjoyed a movie so much in my life than watching a movie with these guys. Everything that happened, there was a spiritual significance to these guys. I mean, it was, remember at the end when the Grinch's heart's getting bigger and getting bigger and bigger? One guy, like, he got so excited. He was sitting, he, 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 we used to call him the, uh, uh, the running preacher because he used to get so, when, when there'd be a good point in the sermon, he used to get up and just start going. And then if you preach a good message, he'd go, park there a while, park there. If you get a good point, park there a while, preacher. And, uh, and, and then, it's funny because he used to get up in the middle of it, he'd just stand up, he'd go. Like acknowledge the point, and then he would just take off sprinting down the aisle. And so I knew when he stood up, he was about to get the Holy Ghost. He was about to hit him. And the Grinch's heart's come back to life. Remember, he's like all of a sudden getting the true meaning of Christmas, and heart's getting bigger. And all the guys in the program start standing up with the Bible, holding up the Word of God. They're like, the Grinch got the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is on the Grinch. The anointing's on the Grinch. And guys are like having a full-on revival meeting. I mean, relating everything back to the Holy Ghost, even in a Grinch movie. And I sat back there and I said, man, that's the way it's supposed to be. 
God, help me to see your power at work in all things. And I've seen comebacks. I've seen families come back. I've seen the most dramatic comebacks known to mankind. I've seen pastors and leaders that were 20-year junkies. And, and uh, I, all of these things begin to take place. But I realize that if you, if you can just understand that all the other things that you want back in your life, God is fully capable of giving those things back to you and giving more. Don't even put a cap or limit on what God can do. But it all begins by simply saying, if all I ever got back was you, God, I have everything back in my life. How do you make a comeback? You want the right things back. You don't worry about all the things you wish you had. Because the truth is, in one day, God can bring everything back. God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. It's not over. It's not even close to over. It's just life has just begun. I, I'd rather have... I'd rather have lost everything but get a revelation of how much I need God than to exist into a certain kind of layer of a superficial kind of heart that simply says, I kind of got it together. But that being in that place where you just need God, David said, I, all I want back is the right spirit. And we know the story. God gave him half the kingdom back, all the kingdom, everything back. It was an amazing story, as God will do for you. But want the right things back. Anything is possible. Comebacks are about to happen. I'm telling you, there's some marriage relationships that are getting ready to have a comeback. And I'm here to love on all of you married couples that are struggling right now. I, I don't want to, I just want to love on you and tell you, if you just come down to the front and just start getting your heart right with God in a relationship and simply say, God, all I want back is you into my life. I want to be the person you want me to be, God. It's not any, any other person. It's me, God. I just want to be close to you. That's where, the, that's where the miracle begins to happen, when both in a relationship are simply desiring to bring their personal revelation of who God is in their prayer life back into this relationship. How to make it come back, it's about to happen. I remember years ago, I, I'm starting, I got to the place where I, I really believe anybody can change. I really do. There's not one situation I, I look at anymore. Sometimes people look at me and think, man, you're kind of strange because you really think like, that person has been gone that long. We had a guy give a testimony. This is the third time through the program. And uh, he's been using his whole life. And he got up on stage and began to share what God did in his life. It took him three times to graduate the program, but he finally did. But I just realized sometimes it takes a few times to get back up again to realize just how much you need God. There's a guy that came to our church, and he was on the, he was, <laughs> he was on the front porch of our church. He was a vampire named Ozzy. Ozzy was a true vampire. He had surgically put fangs in his mouth. I mean, he painted his face and everything. And he hated the church so much, he would go to churches and wear a cape. <laughs> he had his fangs. And he would stand outside the church and he would scare people from going into the house of God. One week, Ozzy the vampire from Vancouver, Canada, who was living on the streets of Hollywood, uh, showed up to our church, and someone came up to him and said, hey, man, how you doing? He's like, you just kind of walk around this cave, and he's kind of freaking out. Like, that, like this church would do the same thing, that nobody was kind of like freaked out about him. They're like, hey, man, we got a seat for you at the front row. And so I got to preach. I'm looking on the front row, and Dracula was on the front row. I mean, it was like unbelievable. He was sitting right there, full-on cave, everything. I'm just looking at Ozzy and just, and uh, the whole sermon, you know, I'm just kind of like doing this, you know. 
And Ozzy just sat there, the vampire in the front row. I'm like, Lord, you have put me amongst a very strange, unusual people. We always say we got ex-drug addicts, pimps, murderers in our church, and that's just the pastoral staff, not including everybody else we got going on, you know. And there's Ozzy. He's just sitting there. And I gave the altar call, and uh, Ozzy came down and he accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. I'm like, full-on surrender. With the, I mean, with his, like, Count Chocula cape on and everything, you know, remember the old school cereal? He's just like that, you know, just like this. And uh, he goes, I want to go into your rehab program. And I didn't think he could change, to be honest with you. I mean, I knew it's possible, but that was kind of an intense step for him to take. But my dad always told me that when you don't think people could do something, you never question it. You just smile and say, praise the Lord. That's a pastoral thing to do. And he said, I want to go into your rehab program. I said, praise the Lord. And so Ozzy came into our program, and nobody in the program wanted to, to share a room with him. Nobody. I mean, gangsters. I mean, hard, you know, Crips, Bloods, dudes from East L.A. They're like, who will stay with Ozzy? Like, uh, they're like, Jesus, they're like disciples in the garden. There's nowhere to be found. They're gone. But then I found an upstart intern named Aaron Jane. Aaron Jane's like, I will stay with Ozzy. I will stay with him. The next morning, I got up. I saw Aaron. I said, man, how did it go last night? And he said, man, it was great. It was great staying with Ozzy. And someone laughed and said, oh, yeah. He's acting like it was cool, but he was sleeping with garlic around his neck and a football helmet on all night long. But I saw Ozzy start working in the kitchen. He was serving in the kitchen. He graduated 30 days, graduated 90 days. And he graduated a half a year, and he went through the program, and he graduated. He walks on stage because he couldn't take the fangs out. They're still there. And he's standing up talking about Jesus with Dracula fiends and how the Lord had changed his life and made a difference. And I saw the presence of God. I saw him every morning. He'd go down to the front. People be praying on over him and loving on him and just believing in him. And I saw the layers begin to fall off of all of this horrible backstory to his life. And Ozzy left and he went back to Vancouver and now he's got a vampire ministry He's going out and ministering to the vampires every single week. And I remember when, uh, years ago, when TBN gave us a television program for 10 years for free. So we were on every Friday night at 10 o'clock one day. Uh, Paul Crouch uh, just dropped off all this camera equipment and said this was raised years ago for an evangelistic ministry in L.A. that left, and we feel like the donors raised it for inner city here. Can you put together a, sh a show in eight days? <laughs> we're like, oh, yes, we can. And so... We had put together like a Dream Center documentary where every day we'd go to the streets and help people and serve people. And uh, it, it was a wonderful uh, blessing the Lord gave us. And they put us on a Friday night at 10 o'clock. <laughs> and then eventually we moved to midnight. It was great viewing because we had like Ozzy the Vampire. And I, I cannot believe TBN let us get away with some of the stuff. I mean, we're talking to prostitutes and they were just barely clothed in the middle of the night, you know, and sharing Jesus with them and bringing them back to the Dream Center. And it was like a Christian cops. It was amazing, you know. And, And seeing all, the, all that was going on and seeing Ozzy and all these lives change, there's no way in the world this happens without simply having a connection with the Holy Spirit, having a revelation of God. I, there's no way in the world that you could just do a lot of nice things for people. These are supernatural issues that we're dealing with. These are supernatural dark places in our heart. These are lonely places, scattered places, boredom places that are they're meant to be filled by the power and the love and the revelation of Christ. And today, the Christmas miracle begins in your heart by simply saying, forget about everything else. 
I'm going to go home and rip up my five-year goals of what I want back, ten-year goals of where I want to be, and all I want to be is standing right in front of the presence of the Lord this very day. My one great desire now is to have God in my life, to have that priority relationship. I promise you, you just make that your one great mission in life is to know God, and you just walk in the general direction of what you're passionate about, and just watch the detours and sometimes the predictable things that you think, but you just watch what God's about to do. I remember those prayer walks from a pastor that was so entitled, a young preacher's son. Man, I got up there and said, man, the, the city owes me something because I'm a pastor's kid to come in. And I, and I remember those days of being humbled and going home and crying for three, four hours and feeling like the biggest failure. I just thought because I was a third generation preacher's kid, people in L.A. ought to show up. And then God took me on prayer walks and said, I'm going to send you back to the valley. Because vision is found in the valley. We think that vision is on the mountaintop of a, of a conference or a great service. Those are inspirational moments. But you know where vision is found? It's found in the valley, in the valley of suffering. Some of the greatest dreams are born when you have nothing left but rock bottom, where God begins to recreate stuff in rock bottom. You're like, God, I'm in the worst place in my life. No. You're in the best place in your life. And you lose everything, but you come back to God. That's really where life begins. In all my life, I've seen people say, Pastor, how can I get this stuff back? All you really need is to simply come back and say, God, I just want you back. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. David got it all back. You can see the transition from the heaviness of life to suddenly the mighty waters and the hiding place of God and the deliverance from trouble and the songs of deliverance. In one chapter, the whole thing changes simply because he started focusing again on his relationship with Christ. It's your time as well. Every head bowed, every eye closed all over this room. I know what it's like to be in that lonely place of living under pressure, expectations, all the wrong motives that have no eternal value. They're just human ideas of what our life should become. But I also know what it's like to lose everything and have nobody show up and just walk around the city and say, God, would you please recreate me? And then God starts giving you dreams that only his presence can reveal. The issue is not the dreams that you have. The issues are the dreams that are deeper than your heart that only serving can reveal. And there's things inside of you that only rock bottom can reveal. I didn't know that I had a heart for people in drug and alcohol rehab. I didn't know that one day that God would allow us to house 750 people every single day who are homeless families and veterans and human trafficking victims. And I, that was never even in my plan. That was in my perceived failure plan. My success plan was in showing up and with my intellect preaching sermons that would draw people, but in failure and rock bottom in that place of simply saying, God, I have nothing, but all I want is you. Then God started showing me things. He started showing me that I did have love for people that had drug addiction. I did have love. I started dreaming out of that place of relationship. And some of you today have lost your dream. It's, it's simply because you're, it's time for you to dream something new. In that relationship with Christ, and you get that back into your life, 
Who knows what your life can become? Who knows what your life can be recreated? Like the story we heard of the man in prison who had all these visions now that only taking a time out and pausing from life, he could begin to understand the direction of his life. And some of you are in that place today, but God's about to ready. If you're here today and say, Pastor, I'm ready to make a comeback, but I want God back in my life. I want that place. I want to know Christ. I want to make him number one in my life. And today, all I want is you, Jesus. All I want is a relationship with you. When I say three, I want you to raise your hands all over this room. One, two, if you're here today, and say, I'm ready. My comeback begins right now. I am ready for the greatest comeback that I could ever have through Christ. Not through me, through Christ. I am ready. I want God back in my life. That Bible's going to be dusted off tomorrow. I'm going to start finding that prayer closet. I'm ready for a comeback. Just raise your hands right now. Three, lift them up all over this room. Oh, my goodness, look at this. Hands more than I've ever seen here ever. Hands are going up everywhere. God's doing something here. Marriages are coming back. People are coming back from weariness through 10 years of, of sleepless nights. People are coming back from a, a doubt, a feeling like you'll never be what you used to be, that you're less what you, there's people have lost their confidence. But your confidence in Christ is rising, and then everything starts to change. I, I tell you, there's people here who have lost their confidence. I don't know why I feel that, but there's people who have lost their confidence. But God's bringing it back. He's, He's bringing it back. It's God kind of confidence, the one of the assurance of Christ, the unshakable, where everything bad in your life could be happening, but somehow you find joy because you're connected in the right places. Hands are going up everywhere. Praise God. I'm going to close with this, but everyone that raised your hand, you need prayer together, loud and strong. In my final words, I want you to repeat these words after me. Everyone together, repeat these words. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross that I might be saved. I repent of my sin, and I desire you in my life, and only you. Give me the power to go on the greatest adventure of my life, and that is to know your ways, your heart, your responses, your reaction, the kind of life that's lived outward rather than inward. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my life and for starting something new in me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord praise all over this room. Come on, your comeback begins right now. Pastor, come on up here. God bless you. I want you to stand. If you're ready for a comeback, I want you to stand up and just let out a shout of praise, a comeback victory, and just shoot your hands up into the heavens and your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, just for 30 seconds, I just want you to just cry out to God for your comeback. Thanks for listening. If this impacted you and you'd like to partner with us, go to celebrationchurch.cc give to help us reach people with the message of Jesus.